Okay, so this is our gene expression episode. All right, so what does gene expression include? Um, this includes how the gene will be spliced, how it'll be, how many times it'll be translated, how long it'll last in the cytoplasm before being destroyed, um, how the protein be activated if made initially in the wrong shape, whether a gene is red or not. Uh, how will the protein be modified after it's made? And will the transcript be translated right away or delayed? All right, so why would cells need to control gene expression? So first of all, to respond to outside signals, to be able to change during the cell cycle, again, whether a gene gets red or not, to meet the demands of organs, to make sure a cell isn't wasting energy, to respond to the changing environment, and for differentiation, because variety is the spice of life. Um, and epigenetic control of genes. So epi means on top of, so that means it's on top of the genome. And it involves several types of signals that either loosen or tighten DNA. DNA can only be read in G1 and G2, so the DNA must be in loose chromatin form. So how does epigenetics work? Methyl groups can be added to DNA, so it tightens and RNA polymerase can't get to it. So the cell puts methyl groups where enzymes have tagged on the DNA. <clears throat> Acetyl groups can be added to histone proteins to loosen the DNA wound around histones. So example is the rat licking ex uh, example where the rats um, who got licked were more relaxed and because it was demethylating the GR gene versus the rats whose mothers didn't lick them still had the gene methylated. So they were more anxious. Um, so just remember that methyl groups mean that it's tightened and acetyl groups mean that they're loose. And so the differences between heterochromatin and euchromatin, so heterochromatin is too tight to be read and euchromatin is loose enough to be read or expressed. All right, so next, uh, what do epigenetic patterns add to DNA and when can gene expression change? So most patterns are wiped off in the sperm or egg, and each cell needs different epigenetic patterns so they can differentiate. And in about 80 genes, there's imprinting, which means the same gene will have different methylation patterns depending on whether it's from the sperm or egg. Most epigenetic patterns get added on, um, added on during the embryonic development, which is what makes differentiation happen. Um, a muscle cell becomes muscle, a nerve cell becomes the nerve cell. And sometimes during the first weekish of birth, like with the rat licking example and the queen bee eating the super jelly and the random ones that can be changed throughout your life, like during puberty and menopause. Um, some methyl methylation patterns aren't wiped off and they are acquired traits passed on from parent to kid. So methylation to control gene expression. Methylation tags are added during embryonic development, so what a mother eats and drinks while pregnant can affect the methylation patterns. Some methyl patterns aren't wiped off, and those are the acquired traits passed on to kids. So control of gene expression, so control even when the DNA is loose enough to be read, controlled by regulatory proteins and transcription factors, and it makes up the transcription initiation complex can turn on genes by making or not making or activating or not activating transcription factors. Moving on to eukaryotic genes um, and regulatory elements. So DNA has proximal control elements and distal control elements. So on the distal control elements are where the enhancers and silencers are. 
So it uses proteins called transcription factors, which can be general or specific. Um, and another way transcription is controlled is steroid hormones can bind to cytoplasmic receptors that um, the whole complex then translocates into the nucleus and binds to DNA in the upstream regulatory elements to switch on a gene. All right, so now on to bacterial gene expression. This allows bacteria to live in a changing environment, and they've got operons, which is the whole gene unit with all the genes necessary for an enzymatic pathway. Uh, the order of this is promoter, operator, genes, and termination sequence. So bacterial operons, um, operator uh, controls access by blocking and allowing RNA polymerase access. And it's always on unless something binds to turn it off. And the thing that binds is called the repressor. And it blocks the RNA polymerase from binding. The repressor um, is specific to the operon. All right, so onto the repressors. Uh, there are anabolic and repressible operons, and they're shut off by the product of the enzymes they make. Uh, the product activates the repressor, and basically that means they're on until they're turned off. Um, an example of this is the tryptophan um, repressor. Uh, and there's the catabolic slash inducible operons, and they're turned on by the substrate, meaning they're only on when they're needed. An example of this is the lac repressor. Additional ways to activate bacterial genes. So the proteins bind to the promoter. That makes it easier for RNA polymerase to bind. An example is only if you only want to make an enzyme to break down lactose, uh, if lactose is present. So AMP and CAP bind to make the RNA polymerase bind to the gene and read it faster. So CAP, which is a catabolic activator, regulates several pathways. In order to read a gene, what must be true? So it needs to be attached to the nuclear matrix. It cannot be part of the nucleosome. Transcription factors, both general and specific, are bound to the promoter and proximal control elements. The histones must be acetylated if it is part of the nucleosome. It can't be highly methylated and it needs activators and no repressors bound to the distal control elements. Post-transcriptional regulation of gene expression include alternative splicing where the spliceosomes bind to the ends of introns in the mRNA, control of degradation where the three prime UTR of mRNA controls if translation lasts hours or minutes, and there can be a binding site for non-coding RNAs. MicroRNAs transcribes and folds, then a piece is cut off by a dicer, which destroys the second strand. The single strand then combines with a protein, RISC, and binds to inactivate mRNA. Small interfering siRNA does the same thing, but it's just from longer segments of RNA. SIRNA and miRNA can recruit enzymes to form heterochromatin and turn off a gene. All right, so now on to the control of translation. Regulatory proteins can prevent mRNA from binding to the ribosome. Uh, they must be removed before translation occurs, though. And the initiation factor, which helps mRNA bind to the ribosome. Post-translational modifications include, um, you know, usually being used to activate a protein only at a certain time, like being phosphorylated or through cleavage, and they can prevent correct modifications or transport until a certain time. They can be modified by different enzymes in the rough ER of different kinds of cells, 
and the proteasome chops up unneeded proteins, which are tagged with ubiquitin, so the cell knows which ones to destroy. And onto multi-gene families, which basically means that there may be multiple copies of the same gene, which can all be expressed at once or at different times in response to different things. An example of this is fetal hemoglobin, which is very different from regular hemoglobin because you're getting the oxygen from the mom and the hemoglobin has to snatch it up quickly. But when you're breathing through your own nose, you don't need to be as diligent. So transposons, or otherwise known as jumping genes, may copy and move or just move. They may jump into a gene and disrupt it. They may jump into a regulatory and increase or decrease the production of that protein. They contain a code for an enzyme that, when expressed, cuts the gene out and inserts it somewhere else. It also may contain just the gene for that enzyme or contain it for additional genes. And retrotransposons code for RNA that gets copied into the DNA and inserted into the genome and can also be known as reverse transcriptase. So gene rearrangements like mRNA splicing except done in embryonic cells that will become immune cells. And it's permanent and only done during development. And it's done in DNA and the DNA is removed so that it never gets transcribed or expressed. Gene amplification is where um, it makes more copies of the gene when needed. Okay, so selective gene loss is only in the developing embryos of insects, and some genes are just cut loose if the insect doesn't need them. Okay, so how does one cell become many different kinds? So step one is through cytoplasmic determinants, or RNA and proteins distributed in the cell that are anchored to the cytoskeleton. They signal development, and when the cell divides, different cells get different determinants, and that's what makes them differentiate. Step two is through induction, where cells receive different signals from surrounding cells that control development. And step three is that they turn on master regulatory genes, uh, turning on tissue-specific genes to make tissue-specific proteins. Uh, cytoplasmic determinants results steps. So determinants code for signals, receptors, and transcription factors. The cells will make different signals and receive different signals based on what determinants they have. Determinants um, a cell has is based on its location, so eventually a cell will know what it should be based on its location. Body plan patterning. So both cytoplasmic determinants and induction signals help set up positional information. Homeotic genes contain program for development of the body plan and they are highly conserved and have same sequences within the genes called homeoboxes. They code for transcription factors and are master control genes. Um, homeobox genes are a 180 nucleotide segment of homeotic genes. They're conserved in all animals, and they're part of the gene that codes for part of proteins that bind to DNA. Hox genes are found in clusters on the chromosomes, and genes are lined up in order of what part of the body they control the formation of. All right, so next is oncogenes and proto-oncogenes. And oncogenes are cancer-causing genes induced by viruses. And proto-oncogenes are normal genes that become cancer-causing when they are mutated, amplified, or moved into an area with an active promoter. Um, next is tumor suppressor genes, which repair damaged DNA, inhibit cell cycle if the DNA is damaged, control cell adhesion, and activate apoptosis if necessary. 
An example of this is P53 genes, um, and 53% of human tumors have a P53 error, um, and they uh, happen in response to damage to these genes. It halts the cell cycle, turns on the DNA repair enzymes, and activates apoptosis if the damage cannot be repaired. So, like, finally, cancer cells versus normal cells. And cancer cells can be identified by misshapen cytoskeleton and nucleuses. The less round the nucleus, the more aggressive the cancer, and therefore the cancer is due to messed up gene expression.